This is the day the Lord has made. All oh, church are slow. This is the day the Lord has made. <laughs> yes, it is. This morning, if you would take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to look at the church at Thyatira. You may not think that this church is relevant for us because some of the stuff they had we don't have today. Some of the issues they were dealing with we don't deal with particularly uh, as you'll come to find out. But there is something here for us. And and there's there's one main theme in this that that keeps resonating in this passage and, and you'll come to hear what that is in a bit. But let's take a look at this message beginning at verse 18 of chapter 2. We'll read on through the end of that chapter. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, To him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star, and he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would instruct us in this word. Lord, that uh, we will make relevant today what was given 2,000 years ago. Lord, that we will see in this church some of ourselves. As Lord, in all these churches, there's some of the church, all the, those churches in all of us. But Lord, I just ask today, especially today, Lord, that in this church that we look at, the church of Thyatira, Father, that we may have a clear view of who you are and what you require of us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin this message with a personal observation. God has both the right and the authority to regulate our standard of conduct. And by that I mean that conduct is in a continual evolving state. You know, if you look at society, you look at culture, and and culture and society dictate to us what is the the new norm, uh, the way we should act, the way way we should think. 
uh, tells us uh, who, in essence, who we are and, and how we're to conduct ourselves in this, in this current uh, societal or cultural state in which we exist. The problem with that is this, is there is no consistency of, of, of habit. There is no consistency of faith. There is no consistency of worship that as things begin to, to change, that we change with it. And as we change with cultures, we change with, with societal norms, uh, so does the picture of Christ change. Uh, so what, the way people viewed Jesus 2,000 years ago is different than the way we see Jesus today. The way I see Jesus uh, born when I was born and the way some of the younger people see Jesus today is different because if we believe in a, in a culture that says that, that Christ changes with culture, then we, we have an ever-evolving Christ. The image of Christ changes. If the image of Christ changes, and then what would be next is the message of Christ changes. There is no standard. If you believe in that, in that the theological evolution then what we're doing here is absolutely senseless. Something has happened in the church where we feel that uh, uh, we need to embrace culture rather than engage culture. So as we look at this church at Thyatira, you're going to see that there were some things that happened in Thyatira that are very relevant to us today. But I want to give you all this preface to the message so that you understand that God has authority to do what God wants to do. And, and so uh, one of the things that does not change is God's moral law. You call it the Ten Commandments. It's called His moral law. That does not change. And, and we cannot culturally or, or, or in society make that change. That, that is not our call to make. Uh, excuse the pun, but uh, I suppose that we may say that uh, God's law is written in stone. If then God's laws for governing our conduct are unchanging, then we must also be aware that in our breaking of that moral law that God in turn has the absolute right and authority to discipline the offender. That makes sense, doesn't it? God establishes and sets the law, and we have to live within the confines or construct of that law. If we violate that law, then God has the right to, uh, uh, to spank us, to discipline us. So then, to this position, we give a hearty amen, don't we? We say, yes, God set the law, and God has the right to, to exercise authority and discipline those who violate His law. And, you know, and when we say that, we realize that we're living in this, we worshiping in this bubble that we call the church house or the church building. So it is okay for us in this ecclesiastical sense to get all pious because that's what we would expect here in church to... to Act and speak churchy. That's what we would expect. So we would say amen to that preacher. God can do whatever God wants to do. However, before we become overly pious by our self-restraint, 
as to any violation that we might have of God's law, might I remind you that although our moral behavior may seem to be to us a preventative such, from such profane conduct, you know, we, we see the law and we say, yeah, if I'm here in church, I'm going to say amen to that and I'm not going to violate God's law. I'm going to keep all ten of those commandments. And the problem is we can't even keep the first one. Forget the other nine. We can't even get through the first one right. Because we are housed in this thing called skin, this flesh, because this is what we look like and who we are, we have a problem, and that problem is that we are people of flesh. And because we're people of flesh, and because we cannot keep God's moral law, His Ten Commandments, we need to be people of repentant hearts. Isn't it good that God gives us repentance? God says, Jezebel, I want you to repent. He says, Pat, I want you to repent. He says, Church, I want you to repent. Whatever act we may be involved in that violates God's moral law, and if we, if we fail to repent of that violation of the law, it only leads to God's need to reprove us of our action. Here's what Scripture says. For those whom the Lord loves, He does what? He disciplines. The Lord's discipline of His saints is not only for correction, but it's also for our character training. So when we do what is wrong, and if we continue to do that without repentance, God somehow manages to, in order to get us back on proper track, doing the right things, we may look at that and say, Lord, why are you punishing me? And all the time God's saying, well, I'm really trying to get you to build your character in such a way that you act and behave like a Christian that you suppose or claim to be. I want you to not only say you're Christian, but I want you to act like you're Christian. I'll give you an example. And I know because I've, I've not seen you particularly, but I've seen you in a sense of and other people, you're driving down the road. And there's always somebody that either, if you're going, let's say the speed limit's 60, and you're doing 80. And somebody thinks you're going too slow, and they're doing 95. And because you're upset because they're getting ahead of you, you press the pedal to the metal so that they won't pass you up. You know, it reminds me of this, you know, and, and you say to yourself, well, I have a right to do this. This is my right. I don't want anybody taking any advantage of me. I have my rights. Reminds me of a little poem. Here lies the body of Mike O'Day, 
who died maintaining his right of way. His way was right, his will was strong, but he's just as dead as if he'd been wrong. We want our rights, and we will violate any law to maintain our rights. We will even violate God's law. That's Thyatira. That's Thyatira. Our sin is paid for by Christ's atoning work. But be assured that even though sin is paid for, the consequence of that sin will be meted out either by repentant heart or by God's own right of our condemnation for our correction. Just as King David cried out to God after his adulterous affair, and he cries out, return to me the joy of your salvation. And do you realize that for David to get his joy back, that there's a whole mess of discipline that was the road before him. You realize that it just wasn't, he makes this prayer and all of a sudden, you know, he's got the joy, 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 joy down in his heart. And he's just bubbling over with joy. But in order for God to get him where he needed to be, God says, okay, David, here's what we're going to have. And then a son is born, the son dies. Absalom is born, Absalom grows up, Absalom rebels, Absalom dies. To God, justice will always be served. For you, the good news is this, justice was, justice was meted out in the person of Jesus Christ. He becomes the joy of your salvation. God placed on him all the agony that you and I should have. It doesn't mean right now that that God will not discipline us and, and mature us in order to get us on track. It simply means this, that his wrath is not poured out on you. It's been poured out on someone else who is a lot more perfect than you and I. Thinking of all this, let's take all this and let's dump it into the church of Thyatira. No other letter written to any of the other other churches is as lengthy as this one. The deeds of the church are filled with commendation. Listen, he says, says, I know of your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance. It seems as though this church of Thyatira had everything going for it. It sounds as though it was, to, it was going to be the mega church in Asia Minor. No other of the seven churches had as much going for them, as much praise as Thyatira. The Lord, however, after con- commending them of all that they have done, adds this last commending, this last commending note to them. He says, your deeds of late are greater than at first. Look at yourself as the Hazelwood Baptist Church. And I'm amazed at how much Eons do. The moment I came into this church and, and people just flooded into my offices, we have this, 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 and this, and this, and this. I was getting dizzy with all the stuff that Eons are doing. I said, what a tremendous church. I was calling my pastor and said, you don't see this church, they just do so much. 
They want to help everybody. I says, they're helping everybody, but they're killing me. Please pray for me. What a church. Thyatira, what a church. You'd almost not want to join it for fear that if you did, you'd mess it up. But notice, however, what God says to them in verse 20. And this, this is the bad thing. He says, but I have this against you. After all the good stuff, all the wonderful stuff that they did, and they are and they were, God says, I have this against you. Whenever you see the conjunction but, one of two things is going to happen there. Either, either something wonderful is about to happen or your bubble is going to burst. One of those two. Whenever you see a but in the Bible, it's, it's good or bad. A church, any church, can have the qualities of love, faith, and deeds. Any church can have the qualities of love, faith, and deeds. But, but, if it goes against the clear teachings of Scripture, then all that good stuff is wiped away by their lack of one thing. Do you know the one thing that Thyatira lacked? Not only Thyatira, but many churches today. The one thing that they lack, two words, two words, doctrinal integrity. They did all this wonderful stuff, but they didn't know the Word of God. I've heard, let me tell you, I've been doing this for a long time. I started ministry in 1969. I've, so many times, I've heard people say, I don't like to study doctrine. Folks, this book is a book of doctrine. If you don't like to study doctrine, then you don't like this book. That's what this is. It teaches us how to love God and how to love one another. Jesus says, the great commandment is to love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind and, mind, mind, and to love your neighbor as you do yourself. According to this word, it's a doctrine. That's how we learn to do that. When we meet other people, You know what the Bible says about other people? That we are to esteem, not steam, but we're to esteem one another. Sometimes we esteem people, but we are to esteem one another more highly than we do ourselves. You treat people with dignity and respect, anybody, anybody whether they're Christian or not. Every person that you meet is made in the image of God. You treat them with dignity and respect. You know, it doesn't take much to say, hello, how are you today? It's good to have you with us today. Thank you. Now, oftentimes we 
want to colloquialize good language and we use uh, vulgarities. Uh, number one, you need to repent of that. And number two, you need to go to a good dictionary, dictionary and learn how to speak better. Should not be part of who we are. It has become more and more evident in the last couple of decades or so that our churches have become more interested in the size of the congregation than in the clarity of preaching the Word of God. Why, why this interest in how many? Why, why, is that, why is that a big thing? What do you think was more important than Jesus? The size of the crowd? Or the value of the message? We want big. Jesus didn't go and say in the Great Commission to go and make big churches. He says, go and do what? Make disciples. Disciples. Don't worry about that. Let the Lord add to the church as God will add to the church. But our responsibility is to make disciples, to teach them the Word of God. And when we teach them the Word of God, that perhaps we will not fall into the, the, the lure of Jezebel. Because it's people who don't understand the Word who fall for teachings like people of Jezebel's nature. And when we fall into that teaching of a Jezebel, we don't know if she's right or wrong. It just seems right to us because it's making us grow. But it's not making us Christian. It's not making us disciples. It's making us grow numerically. That's not the essence or nature of the church, nor the purpose of the church. Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi says this in, in chapter 3 and verse 10 he says that I may know him. My friends how can we know him when we don't listen to him? We don't read, we don't teach, we don't preach, we don't follow his word but how can we know him when we don't spend time in his word and know what that word says? There is a spiritual anemia going about us in this world today that we don't understand that what is important is not the size of the crowd, but the size of the reality of Christ in the people who attend. The Word of God is to be like seed that is sown in the fertile soil that yields a crop of 30, 60, and 100 fold. The Word of God is like the keys of a prison cell that when it is given and is received, that, it, that its truth will set you free. The word of God is to be read to the people. Moses' last words, listen, Moses' last words to the people of Israel were this. He says, assemble, folks, listen to this. This Man, this is so important. This is where when you read scripture, you've got to read, read what's in there. Squeeze the juice out of that passage. He says, assemble the people, the men and the women and the children. The men and the women and the children. It's not just for a few. It's not for just the guys. Not for just the gals. Not for just kids. It's the men and the women and the children. And then he says, and beyond that, it is for the alien. People who are not just like us. 
The church is not a homogeneous setting of spiritual people. The church is for everybody to hear the word of God. The gospel is to be preached. Jesus is to be proclaimed. That's the church. The alien who's in your town. So that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God. And be careful, listen, and to be careful to observe all the words of his law. Let me ask this question. Would that be us? Are we careful to observe all the words of his law? The word of God, the scriptures, the Bible is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Hebrews 4.12, that verse, Hebrews 4.12, tells us, in effect, that the Word of God can and will seize the conscience of a person. Seizes the conscience of the person. It tells us that it is sharper than any two-edged sword and will cut deeper than any sword can. Those sinful habits that have become so natural to us and rooted deep within us are, by His Word, separated and cut off. It cuts off ignorance from our human wisdom, rebellion from our foolish will, and enmity from our depraved minds. The Word of God. The Word of God will turn the inside of the sinner out so that he might see all that defiles him before a holy God. When the Word is preached, when you have the a vision of who God is, when you see God for whom He is, then you begin to see yourself for whom you are. This is God, and this is me. God is sovereign. I am sinful. God is autonomous. I am dependent. You know, I hear people say, my goal in life is to be autonomous. There's no such thing as a person who's fully autonomous. There's no person in this world that's autonomous. You know why? You're born, you're going to die. The course is set. The die is cast. Someday you'll end up at the port that God has destined for you. We are not so autonomous that we control our own destinies. That's foolish thinking. No one controls their own destiny. But our life is in the hands of God. Well, so now we have the church of Thyatira. In this church, there's this woman. It could have been a guy, but it's a woman. This woman is a, is a human toad. She put her word in opposition to God's word. Jezebel, as she was called, whether it's a symbolic name or real, we don't know that. But the point is, by her evil deeds, she sought to destroy the church. Her teaching on sexual impurity and idolatry led many of the congregation into an all-out sin and rebellion toward God. That's what she did for the church. Isn't it wonderful? 
We need less people like that in church. So here's a question. Why would anyone who professes to be a Christian accept such a perverted teaching that Jezebel propounded? Why would anybody say, well, Jez, I think you're right. Why would anybody do that? This lady is obviously wrong, but why would people say, well, we're going to follow Jezebel's teaching? It's time for Sunday school, and Jezebel's leading it. So her class is just growing and blowing, you know, just doing great. Why would they follow her? It's the church. Why would they practice idolatrous worship and sexual immorality? Why? In the city of Thyatira, there were a number of trade guilds. People made tents. You know, Paul was a tent maker. Uh, there were coppersmiths, dyers, tanners, whatever. Had all, all kinds of different industry like that. These guilds accepted and endorsed a religious system that promoted sacrificing to idols as well as sexual immorality. So, when you joined the guild, you had to obey their rules. Now you're beginning to get the picture of what was happening in the church of Thyatira. That in this church, there were many people that belonged to these guilds. Because they wanted to make a living. And in order to make a living, they had to go along with what society was teaching. Culture. It was understood that if anyone wanted to be successful in business, they needed to belong to and accept the dogmas of these guilds. So here we have Jezebel, who is a member of the church, and she says, if you want to earn a living and be successful, you have to go along to get along. Her thinking is this, it doesn't matter what you do. What is important is what you believe. Now, folks, there's a problem here. Because tell me this, how is it possible to separate what you believe from the way you behave? Is that possible? That you believe this and you behave this way? If you can do that, then obviously what you believe is just mere speaking of the lip. Speaking smooth like a river rock. In essence, you're lying. You don't believe those things. You're simply saying those things. You cannot separate belief from behavior. It's impossible. And by the way, if you're looking for a verse of Scripture to substantiate this, I have one for you. Ephesians 4.1. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Paul says, you profess Jesus, walk like you profess Jesus. Let your behavior be seen in the community as one who is a Christian, if you say that you are. Jezebel a self-proclaimed prophetess tried to convince the church that it's okay to fudge on what God's word instructed and, to, and you can get away with it. That's why I said at the beginning, 
you, you, can, you cannot fool God. You violate his word. You violate that relationship that you're supposed to have with him. And then there is discipline added to you. Because God's intent in your life and my life is to get us completely transformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. God's goal, God's destiny, not that you and I are autonomous, but God's destiny for us is that you and I, before we get to glory land, will be transformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That when God is through with us in this world, when God is through us, the next step I take into glory will be ultimate, total, complete transformation into the image of God. And God has put me on a journey to get me there and get you there. It may not always be a pleasant journey, but it will be God's journey. And I've said this before. Listen, God's worst plan is better than your best plan. It was hard for the people, the small minority people in Thyatira to be cut off from friendships and social life. Because this, many of the people were willing to accept the standards of polytheism and moral laxity. The people wanted friends in the church. And so there's a small group of people left in the church who would not, who would not bend a knee to these idols nor listen to the false teachings of Jezebel. And they are stranded out there without friendships in that church. But they would not bend the knee to these idols. So what was the church to do? How could they possibly survive and not be part of these corrupt societal standards? What they did was to allow Jezebel, they allowed Jezebel to continue her false teachings. Therefore, due to the church's unwillingness to deal with the issue, due to the church's unwillingness to deal with the issue, God, in the following verses, says, I'll deal with it. Folks, the last thing we want is for God to deal with an issue that we should deal with ourselves. Verse 21 says, God says, I gave her time to repent. That means, God says, I will bring her to a point of discipline. God gave her time to repent just as he does you and I. However, many today are unwilling to do so. And then here's why. Two reasons why we sometimes don't want to repent. First of all, because the flesh, our fallen nature, is an enemy of God. If I'm walking in a sinful habit this way, if I'm walking in a sinful habit, I'm walking in the flesh, right? However, if I repent of that and turn around 180 degrees, don't say at 360 because then you're still in the head the same way, but 180, okay? So it's an about face, not a circle. You know. And you're walking back this way. If it's not walking in flesh, you're walking in what? Faith. 
The problem is this. The flesh does not want to walk in faith. Why does it not want to walk in faith? Because if it does so, it no longer reigns in the body. That means God reigns in the body. You've surrendered yourself over to God. Paul in Galatians 2.20 says, The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. The flesh doesn't like that. The second thing we need to look at, that we live in a world filled with religious observance. It may look good on the outside, but on the inside it's filled with distrust, denial, and deceit. It compromises the Word of God. They follow the pattern of Paul speaks of in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. They appear godly, but are arrogant, gossips, unloving, and haters of God. Think of this. If these 66 books, which comprise the Bible, if these 66 books... If they were a guarantee to you that you could live forever in absolute paradise, forever, and all you, all you had to do was to believe what's written is, you know, if you told the world that, they say, oh, yeah, I'm going to. But when you tell them that all that is necessary, all that is necessary is for you to trust in a person called Jesus Christ. They rebel against it. Why do they do that? Because the flesh wants to do something. Oh, I read this book and I believe it. Or say, I did this and I did, or I was baptized or I, I performed this or I did miracles. And you look at uh, 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 Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 and 22. It says, Lord, Lord, I did miracles and I did this and I was preaching there and I did all this stuff. I did all this wonderful stuff and Lord, you have to love me. And God says, depart from me. You cursed. I never knew you. Because the flesh wants to do something. That's what the flesh does. It wants to go, oh, look, look what I did. Man, you know, I'm glad I got the name Pat. Oh, yeah. No. No. When we say we preach the gospel, there's about two things that, we, that are necessary. You preach and teach the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he bore the wrath of God. He, he was our substitute on the cross. He died in our place. And second of all, that he rose from the grave on the third day. That is the sum and substance of the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose from the dead. And because Jesus died for you, you die in him. Jesus rose from the dead, you rise raised with him. That's how you get saved. But you don't become a disciple like that. You become a disciple by this. This is what the church didn't have. They wouldn't follow God's law. They wouldn't follow God's word. They deviated from it, and they allowed immorality, and they allowed polytheism to 
break into the ranks of the church. My friends, the devil doesn't mind one bit if you want to be religious. But he does mind if your religion is focused on Jesus Christ. Hell's chambers echo the screams of those who have rejected the opportunity given them to repent and believe the gospel. You won't be dead a second before you realize that you should have trusted Jesus Christ. Because, friends, I will guarantee you, there's a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And, friend, it's a whole lot better to do it now than at the day of judgment. Believe the gospel and confess that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. And then you must repent of your sin and surrender your life over to Christ, who is the head of the church, which is his body. That's you. That's you. We cannot afford to be a Thyatira church where we do all this wonderful stuff but leave the Word of God out of the picture. We can't, we can't afford to do that. Here's the key to repentance. I'm, I'm done here in, a, in just a minute. The key to re- in repentance is this. Repentance is a, a, a heartfelt sorrow because of your sin. The sin sins will be a problem to you. It should dig deep into your, into your conscience to say, I've done something that violates a holy God. Second, it's a, ren- a renunciation of sin. Third, it's a genuine commitment to forever in your life for, to forsake sin the best you can, to forsake it. Four, repentance is a desire to walk with Christ in full obedience and observance of His Word. I think we could do that as a church. I think we could do that. Today is a day for salvation. As the Holy Spirit speaks to your hearts and He enlightens you. Listen, I cannot enlighten you. Uh, You cannot enlighten yourself. Only the Holy Spirit of God does that. As He enlightens you to the truth of His Word, will you this day come and publicly acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord? If you've never made a public profession of faith in Jesus before. Friend, you got to do that today. Well, it's still called today. You need to do that. As the Holy Spirit speaks to you, as He convicts you of sin, righteousness, and judgment, will you this day come to know Him?